Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. Hello, and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jalenta Greenberg. And today, we're here with a little feedback episode for you. That's right. Every third week, we share some of the stories you, our listeners, have shared with us about the topics we've most recently covered on the show. Because a lot of you write in, and a lot of you have super great things to say. Today's topics are seasonal affective disorder and the great divorce. Jolenta, shall we start off with all the listeners who had thoughts on seasonal affective disorder, a.k.a. SAD? Yes, let's do it. So many of you wrote in to say that our episode helped you to understand yourself better. We love that. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that made me so happy because so much of our show is just, you know, us diving into things we're curious about. But mm -hmm. if we can help people understand themselves better, that makes it even better. So much better. So much better. So Claire wrote in to say, I've not listened to all of this week's episode yet, but my mind is blown. I have sad and my mood is so extremely affected by weather. I will literally feel my mood lighten as the sun emerges on a cloudy day, but also my eyes are so sensitive to light. Mm. I wear sunglasses pretty much year round and cannot go outside without them in the summer. The idea that these two things are connected and what that research might mean for me is kind of exciting. That's very, very cool. I also wear sunglasses year-round, so welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> Rosina wrote in to say, I never knew that summer sad was a thing until this episode. I feel so validated. I live in Southern California with all the sun worshipers, and I've learned to keep my mouth shut about how depressing I find the incessant sunshine. Fortunately, the symptoms are not too debilitating, though I rarely go out during the day in the summer, which lasts about six months here, and I feel trapped and depressed. Oh, Rosina, if you are truly feeling depressed, we hope that you seek some assistance, some yes. mental health care, possibly some medications, maybe some tools to help you through that, because we don't like you feeling trapped and depressed. No. We, we hope you find some some tools to help you through that. Yeah. 
And we're glad that we could help shed some light, sunlight maybe, on the subject for you. Yes, yes. Robert wrote in to say, The episode about seasonal affective disorder was a nice overview of things I have considered for several decades. A major bonus was the information about vitamin D being energizing. I've been taking vitamin D under doctor's orders for over a year. I typically took it with my nighttime medicine, but now I realize that was probably counterproductive, and I'll now start taking it in the morning. Yeah, yeah, I do the same thing, Robert. I take a a prescription strength vitamin D once a week per doctor's orders, and I have to take it in the morning. Otherwise, I'm up all night long if I take it in the evening. Yeah, I was slow on that one. Dean had to give me some advice on that. He was like, like, you know that it'll be better if you take this in the morning. Maybe you won't be up all night scrolling your phone if you stop taking your D at night. Yeah, maybe that'll help (laughs) things a little bit. And Dean... Good husband. Thank you. He was right. Yeah. Yes. And and science is right on that, too. Science true, has taken it True. <laughs> true. Yeah. It's science sort of took the lead with that one. Yes. Some of you wrote in because you wanted to share your stories of how changing your geography affected your sad symptoms, which is super interesting. Chrissy says, I grew up in Washington state, followed by college in Oregon, and experienced mild seasonal affective disorder without a diagnosis my entire upbringing. I sought out therapy for it during my college years, and I had one therapist tell me that living in the Pacific Northwest isn't the right choice for me, and I should move to Colorado? Instead, I moved to Alaska, land of notorious bipolar light patterns. I love living here for so many reasons, but during the pandemic, my sad really took a hold of me. After such horrible advice from my previous therapist, I was wary to seek out professional advice, but luckily my primary care provider connected me with one of very few prescription medications that actually works very effectively against SAD. It's called Wellbutrin. Prior to this medication, I couldn't imagine embracing the huga of the winters here, but three years after beginning the meds, I actually can appreciate the darkness and downtime. Just wanted to make sure listeners know there can be an end to the sad symptoms without moving to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> I love this whole story. My gosh, Chrissy, choosing to move to Alaska, that is a big move. For those outside the States, you may not realize just how far Alaska is from mainland continental USA. It's really, really, really far away. Yeah. (laughs) And Colorado was actually much closer to the Pacific Northwest, way closer. Very, very much closer. Yeah. So that's a huge leap, a leap culturally, a leap As far as climate is concerned, the climate is very different. Totally. Icebergs versus rainy season. It's very different. (laughs) Yes, yes. But so glad it worked out for you in the end, Chrissy. It sounds like you got the help that you needed. Yes, totally. the appropriate care that everyone deserves. Right. Aaron wrote in with another geography story we liked. Aaron says, I totally get summer sad. As a person who grew up in Georgia, my constitution was completely incompatible with the environment. For those outside the U.S., Georgia is in the south in the U.S., so very warm, very sunny a lot of the year. Now, I live in England and enthusiastically embrace the 4 p.m. or earlier sunsets, and I'm happy I have months of cold and dark before it's sunny again. Sometimes you need the juxtaposition. Sometimes that helps you appreciate where you are. Also, a few of you wanted to share what sad remedies have worked for you. 
So let's read some of those. Nadia from Luxembourg says, It was interesting to listen to your episode about SAD. I used to suffer from it really bad back when I still had full-time office jobs. I've been self-employed for over 10 years now and spend a lot of winter daytime outside on the bike. And my SAD is pretty much gone. My Swedish friend goes for a lunchtime walk during the winter, then eats lunch at her desk. I know not everyone has that privilege, but if at all possible, try to get some daylight time outside. And of course, insert rant here about how capitalism forces many of us to spend the best hours of the day stuck inside. Ah, yes. This is such great advice, Nadia. If we can go outside during daylight hours, that's something that can make a lot of us feel better. For real. I personally feel better when I get it. Oh, definitely. And Erica has this to say. One thing that has helped me deal with SAD is my practice as a witch. I've been doing some goddess work and particularly diving into the goddess Persephone. This time of year is the typical time when she is making her trip to the underworld to be with her husband, and she will be reborn again as the goddess of spring. Reframing my time this year as a journey to the underworld, where I still rule supreme but have different responsibilities and access to different things in the areas of food and activities, helps me to reframe the purpose of the season and prepare for my rebirth come the spring equinox. Nice. I love it. Get some Persephone and Hades in there. And also reframing. Who doesn't love a good reframing? One of my favorite therapy tools. It can help in a lot of different situations. Yeah, the stories we tell ourselves, the way we approach different things in life, it can really be the difference between something being soul-crushing and maybe being something we can manage. Yeah. All right. Let's see if we can manage taking a quick break, shall we? But reminder, (laughs) you can always get more of us on Patreon, especially if you miss hearing us talk about books. Definitely check it out for a small monthly donation. You can get weekly episodes where we talk about the books we're reading and tips for living a finer life. And also you get the written rules for every book we've ever lived by for by the book. Learn more at patreon.com slash listen to buy the book. Coming up, The Great Divorce. Stay with us. Hey, everyone. We're back. And now on to The Great Divorce. A lot of you have personal stories to share, but before we get to your letters, we have a very special guest that's going to help us unpack the subject. We are so pumped. That is right. We are talking to Melanie Hamlet. She's a journalist. She's a comedian. She's a storyteller. You might recognize her name because she wrote that amazing Harper's Bazaar article about how men have no friends that went viral a few years ago. I also mentioned Melanie in last week's episode because she's one of the creators who speaks extensively on subjects like feminism, marriage, and dating. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you all so much for having me here. It's a delight. We are so stoked to talk to you. I was up too late watching your TikToks last night. <laughs> Just getting prepared and learning about red flags, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I talk a lot about that. That's for sure. <laughs> so, Melanie, I first came across your body of TikTok work when you were making some videos about women 
getting cake smushed in their faces at their wedding. God. Like those videos where you'll see a groom just like aggressively smashing his wife's like whole face into their cake after she like smushed a little bit in his mouth. And you started making videos about that and what you called shut up rings. So right off the bat, can you tell us what a shut up ring is? So I don't know who coined the term. One of my favorite mutuals on TikTok, Cecilia Regina, she's brilliant. Mm -hmm. And she's a culture critic. And so she talks about, she has like a whole playlist on shut up rings. And so I didn't really know what to call it until I heard her say it. So I don't know who coined it, but she uses it a lot. And so for me, like, The ring really shouldn't be that important. But as with everything, it's the intention behind it. You know what I mean? Like, I have never wanted a ring. I never I never wanted to get married. I never thought I'd get married. I thought it was a bunch of, like, bullshit, you know? (laughs) You know, I'm a child of divorce. My grandparents hated each other. So I never dreamed of a, a wedding dress, all that crap. I've never done that stuff like I was supposed to, right? And so I didn't think if I ever got married, I would even care about a ring and I still don't. It's not important to me, but it's what's behind the ring. A lot of men are giving like shut up rings because the biggest realization for me was that marriage benefits men more than women. Almost right. always. Right. Almost always. The mm-hmm. only way it's not going to benefit men more than women is if you actually marry someone who is a true partner, who's on your team, who loves the crap out of you and is willing to deconstruct patriarchy at the same time. Because in my opinion, from my own personal experience being married and from seeing so many people go through divorce and so many people in terrible marriages, if you are not deconstructing patriarchy and how it's going to benefit and favor men, and it's all about exploiting women, if you are not actively deconstructing that within your marriage in real time, in this day, it's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to work. Right. And so I didn't realize that we were going to be doing that when I embarked on this marriage with my husband, but he is absolutely on board with it and is actively deconstructing it with me because it comes up. His patriarchal conditioning, my patriarchal conditioning to be codependent enabler of men and to, you know, center them instead of myself. And yet most marriages are, they don't even tell women that they're going to have to do that when they get married because a lot of us don't even realize we have to. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're getting exploited more and more and more through weaponizing competence, through men's moods, through all of this crap, right? And the system is set up to benefit men. And so what I realized when I really started this decentering men thing was like, look, I'm the prize. You're going to benefit from marriage more than me unless you are on my team and think I'm amazing and are willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. So if I'm the prize, why in the world would I be begging a man to marry me? (laughs) Why would I be pressuring a man to like systemically oppress me? (laughs) You know what I mean? That doesn't make sense. And so the shut up rings, what's behind that and the smashing the cake thing is that a lot of these men seem very bitter that they have to marry these women in order to keep having access to all the things that these women provide. Mm. They're like sex dolls, right? right? It's like they they turn us into sex workers, maids, free therapists. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're moms, they're they're life coach, you know? Even on on hookups, I had men turning me into their fucking life coach. I'm like hooking up with a dude having great sex. And then he's like, you know, my mom tell me the most horrific things. And I'm like, whoa, this is just fun, dude. Like, you don't pay me for therapy. I want to know your badge. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit more about decentering men? You've used this term a few times. We talked about it in our main episode about this topic. Mm -hmm. What is centering men and what is actively choosing to do the opposite? Can you give us some examples of this? You know, I came out of a domestic, like, I didn't date anyone really 
until I was 36. So I'm kind of a, a little bit different in that way that I was decentering men my whole life. And I now that I think back on it, partly is because I knew they would, I intuitively knew they would derail my life. They derail my ambition and my career. I wanted to be an adventure. I was like, you know, a ski guide, a raft guide. I, I was in the film industry and you, I did all those amazing things because I wasn't dating men. Because men always expect you to center them. You are the sidecar on their adventure of life. Mm. You go where they go. Everything is about them. And because that's how they've been conditioned to think. Main character energy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Main character. You know, you're in the audience applauding. Like, and I kind of sensed that I might turn into sidecar instead of the motorcycle. So I just didn't mess with them at all. I wanted nothing to do with them. I was really scared. Mm. And I kind of took it a little too far. Like I literally didn't have my first O or my first relationship until I was 36, right? And then that man almost killed me. So that was a terrifying, I was like, oh, okay. So if I am going to date men, I need to do some serious healing of codependency and I also need a different approach to this where I don't lose myself. Right. Because so many women lose themselves in relationships. And some women never even get the opportunity to know themselves because they jump from one to the next to the next with men who make them center them. They're the sun. We are the planets. Totally. Right? Their children are their planets. Everyone's the planet. You got King Baby and everyone in the family serves him. Right? And so I was really good at like not centering men because I didn't mess with them at all. But, you know, I didn't want to just think that, like, I don't believe that women have to be alone forever to decenter men and to be happy. So I kind of started a new chapter where I'm like, how do I keep decentering men and <laughs> try to date mm -hmm. and not lose myself? And so at first it started with sex. That's what that Daily Beast article right. is about my journey of decentering men in the bedroom and how I insisted that my orgasm be first. Mm -hmm. You cannot have sex with me unless you give me an O first. Like, them the rules from now on mm -hmm. because I'm tired of men using me as their surrogate hand and dehumanizing me. No more walks of shame. I want walks of like, fuck yeah, that was awesome. So for me, it started in the bedroom. And then with that model of being realizing how empowering it is to not center men with my orgasm, then when I started dating, I had to really take that like badass approach of like, for instance, on conversations on dating apps, I am not carrying this fucking conversation. If you message me, you better, you know, it's like, and I learned this in improv. I'm sure y'all know, like in improv. Uh, yes, yes Andy. Andy. Mm -hmm. Yep. No more like sups. You're not going to answer to just yeah. like, hey, <laughs> yeah. hey. I'm going to answer your question and then I'm going to, you know, ping pong it back to you with another question. But I'm not playing ping pong with a fucking wall. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I'm not going to do all of the labor of all of this. And that to me, that's like where it started is like if a guy was like not really making efforts in the beginning stages of just texting me, no, we're done. Yeah. Because if this is the starting point, do you actually think it's going to get better? To me, when I started dating, seeing entitlement was one of the biggest red flags mm -hmm. because entitlement is the, is the root of rape culture. Yeah. You know, entitled to my body, entitled to my time, entitled to my labor. And that's not just bad for our us personally. It's bad for women in general. Yes. So mm -hmm. to step back yeah. from that, to not center men in that way, it helps all of us collectively. Totally. Yeah. I love starting in the bedroom. I think that's such a like nice, pure place to start. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's get back to basics and get back to something that we're like deeply, deeply conditioned to think is almost like more inherently pleasurable for men, mm -hmm. let alone, you know, accessible to women. I love that. 
Also, when you were talking earlier, you mentioned the king baby. Can you break down this term? I've been around so many men in my life who like think they're the king. Like they they think they're the king of the castle. And, you know, patriarchy is all about domination, right? Like it's the men dominating, right? And power. And mm-hmm. they think that they should be making the choices. Everything's about them. They should have the power. They're the default everything in terms of like power. And yet at the same time, act like babies. They literally suck the life out of women. They're the big king who's still breastfeeding. You know, they're vampires. They're parasites. They want everyone to just tiptoe around and working with children, being around two and three-year-olds. I was like hanging out with men, especially like drunk men and narcissist men, helped me learn how to handle toddlers. Really? They're the same. They act the same. Like same energy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just it, bigger. It, they act exactly. I mean, one time I had to help my husband wipe his butt when he was mm-hmm. really drunk. So yeah. yeah, it's like they're so they're, they act like babies, but these are babies that will kill you. And so it's like they act like these like, oh, 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 like, oh, I don't know how to take you weaponizing all this crap. Right. Everything is about like pacifying the baby, right? I'm not going to bring up this difficult conversation because he might go into his shame. I'm not going to do this because, you know, everything is like what, it's about having a thermometer up his butt all the fucking time and gauging what can he handle, like centering his moods, his everything. And then when you do that, the more you do that, you silence yourself. Right. And also you mentioned weaponized incompetence too, about Mm -hmm. like, wait, like, how does the vacuum work? Like you can do it. Yeah. (laughs) So decentering men for me, was it just about centering my safety, centering my peace? You know, and this, I don't hate men. I'm, I'm married to a man. I wrote an article like trying to help men. I love men, but I will not sign off on this bullshit that's harming them and killing us, you know? Mm-hmm. And the more I enable them to do this, the worse it gets. Right. Well, what you're doing is clearly tapping into something that's part of the collective right now. Because mm-hmm. as we all know, as we talked about in our main episode, marriage is on the decline. Mm-hmm. People who are Gen X onward have slowed the marriage trend, choosing to, in many cases, just not get married at all. And among boomers, there is an actual divorce boom with nearly 70% of those divorces initiated by the women in the relationship. Yeah. So you're absolutely tapping into something that is part of like our consciousness right now, part of our collective. What do you think happened that resulted in that shift? Uh, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, like I can't tell you every day I get dozens of comments being like, oh my God, like people literally telling me that my, like a TikTok that I've done or a collection of TikToks from me and some of my mutuals that, you know, kind of are helping build this conversation. They'll say like, I left my husband because of you. They literally say that. I'm like, really? Like, I mean, I'm not like, I'm not trying to break people up, but I am trying to help women center their safety. And that includes their financial safety. I'm not anti-marriage, but you have to be smart. You need to sign those papers before you go into it instead of just, just jump and the net will appear. No, it won't. Not for women. Not in a patriarchy. Uh -uh, (laughs) Uh-uh, the net is for men. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, like, if you can't have a hard conversation before marriage about finances and prenups and and explicitly write, like, protect yourself legally, like, you're setting yourself, like, who, nobody should, like, because men will switch up like that. So even with my husband, I have my own bank account with money ready to go. And that doesn't mean I don't believe in us or love, but it would be dumb for me to set myself up, no matter how much I believe in this marriage, to just be screwed, right? right. And and women will get screwed. Oh, and yeah. so 
So I think the great divorce is a lot of women, you know, I believe in the power of storytelling. That's why I'm a storyteller. And before we may have read articles and whatever, but one of the things I love about TikTok specifically is I actually healed a lot of my trauma from listening to the stories of other survivors. I had no idea how many women had the same experiences and I think that it's an awakening that's happening through storytelling. I, I totally agree. Through women agree. Li- realizing yeah. like, holy crap, like it's not just me and this isn't normal. And also one of my mutuals on TikTok, that darn chat, Laura Danger, she's the one who, the weaponizing competence, right. she made that popular. And it's women in healthy marriages that are also shining a light on how fucked up other marriages are because we just think men aren't capable of this crap. Oh, they are. They just don't want to. <laughs> they just haven't been doing it. Yeah. We get that a lot because Kristen especially has a very beautiful partnership where her husband enjoys doing a lot of housework. He does like the majority yeah. of it. And the we have people majority. who write in who are <laughs> who are like, wait, this is possible? Fuck mm-hmm. no. Oh my God. And I do think I think storytelling and accessibility to other women yeah. has really helped. I mean, my mom ended her marriage to my dad of 32 years, we always joke partially because of Real Housewives because like (laughs) he he like made a bunch of investments like behind her back, essentially stealing money from both of them and like severely financially abused her like their entire marriage. And it wasn't until she saw like other women being like, fuck that, that Mm -hmm. she was like, wait a minute, fuck this. And also, I think, like you said, with boomers especially, they're out of that security phase. Like, they've made Mm -hmm. their money. They and their partners have retired. Their kids are out of the house. Like, they can. it's easier to, like, split assets and be like, I'm not doing it anymore. So part of this was in the article, the Harper's Bazaar article that you mentioned, the men have no friends. But that was the first time I realized, holy shit, because I interviewed a lot of women and a lot of them were, like, my mom's age. And it's actually very common for them to just, they're waiting for their husbands to die. They're literally admitted that. And it's even in the article. Like, she said that when every time one of the husbands dies of her mom's friends, they all like, cool, Betty, let's go on a cruise. And they're like celebrating. Who wants that? Right. Like, men shouldn't even want that. If I was a man and heard that women are just, are just waiting for us to die, I'd be like, huh, maybe I should work on myself so that my my wife wants me Instead of needs me, then my, my my wife is like, can't wait to mm. spend time with me when the kids are gone, rather than kids being a distraction from how much our marriage fucking sucks. And then once the kids are gone, she's going to leave me because, and that's the other thing, men are the ones dying alone. Like, you know, w- women have friendships and we have community. We know how to build that stuff. We're literally taught to do that, right? right. So, but men aren't. They make us their everything. And a lot of men wrote to me being like, holy shit, I didn't realize I was isolating myself more and more and more. I really need to focus on keeping myself as a person and also not relying on my wife for literally everything and my emotional needs because that they're emotional gold diggers, which was the whole point of that article. It's like they call us gold diggers and look what they're doing. Well, this begs the question, though, how do we raise our men to be better? How do we raise them to be better for their own sake, for the sake of marriage, just for the sake of society? What can we regardless of whether we're just fellow humans or parents or members of society, mm-hmm. what can we what can we do to raise our men to be better? I don't ever want it to come across as though I'm blaming women for the actions of men. Because I understand that a lot of the ways that women are acting, whether it's a you know, cool girl or a toxic boy mom, I understand where that comes from, right? But wanting mm-hmm. access to power and security under patriarchy. 
But what I noticed, and actually, you know, some of my friends are the ones who pointed it out, the friends who have girls, and they'd be like, watch the way my friends who have boys are treating their sons. Like, just let me give you an example. Is it a birthday party? And all the girls, when it's time, they were like three years old or four, I don't remember. It's time for cupcakes. The girls all went and got their cupcakes and then they peeled their paper and ate it and then cleaned up after themselves. The boys just sat there helpless, waiting for mom to come serve them a cupcake. And she did. I catch myself treating boys differently than girls and that bothers me. So I have to be very intentional. Like I have a nephew and three nieces. You really, it's like you have to be hyper vigilant because women reinforce the patriarchy just as much as men. By coddling these men, by not teaching them emotional intelligence, by treating your daughters way different than your sons, you know, having different standards for them. And that's why I believe for me, deconstructing all this shit in my marriage on the personal level is the most important place. You know, I had my little pussy hat, you know, marching and all that stuff is useful. I'm not saying it's not. But the most empowering thing I ever did, and I believe the most important thing for me and also because it has a ripple effect in my whole life is trying to figure out how to practice this, these principles of really all of this stuff in my personal life. It's the hardest place to do it, but I believe it's the most important one. Right. You know, because nothing will kill your self-esteem. You can have the best job, the best group of friends, the best community and everything, but nothing will kill your self-esteem more than letting the man in your home treat you like shit behind closed doors. And that's what happened to me. I was such an independent, happy person until I dated that one man. And by the end... I literally felt like a vampire had sucked the fucking life out of me. I didn't even recognize myself. People didn't recognize me. And that was only nine months. I can't imagine what being married to someone for 20, 30 years like that. And it's also deadly. We talk about domestic violence as a physical thing. Uh Uh-uh. Men are killing us through our nervous systems. Why do you think women have so many chronic illnesses? You know how stressful it is to tiptoe around the king baby who's slamming stuff all the time and making it really hard for you to ever be at peace. It's why I don't know if anyone's watching Sister Wives. I've been wanting to watch that, but I haven't yet. It's worth a watch as all the wives leave because literally he got one standing out of four. As they leave, they all literally start looking younger. And I noticed this in my own mother, too. It's like, oh, my God, like you look like you just had a a month at a spa or something (laughs) or like a, a mini facelift. Like it's the reason they all look like so refreshed. It's the glow up. Me too. If you look at photos from, I look younger now, despite maybe some extra wrinkles, I look younger and better and just more alive now than I ever have in my life. And I also think that's a really good indication of the kind of relationship you're in, right? Mm -hmm. I started looking like shit when I was dating that abusive guy because it was, it's stressful. You know, you don't get sleep. They keep you awake. He was, you know, having me smoke pot all the time, even though I don't even do that. Like you just start to morph into someone different. And then the glow up after that of knowing peace. I believe a lot of it is due to a lot of healing. And I believe that a lot of healing can be done in relationship. My relational trauma is now having a safe place to do relational healing. You know, Mm -hmm. I was never allowed to be angry my whole life, especially with men. And my husband's not afraid of my anger. He was like, no, let it out, babe. Say it. Say it. He says stuff like that. He tells me, Mm. and he knows also that just because of chronic codependency and he knows my story, he knows my default is still in a relationship is immediately going to be to center other people, right? And so he he says this constantly to remind me, babe, don't think about me. Center yourself. How do you feel? What do you want? What do you need? 
Don't think about what, what you think I need. Because a lot of times I'm making this shit up anyway. He doesn't want this or need this. I just assume that he does. Right. And, and with other people. And that to me is a life-changing approach to, yeah. or a radical approach to, to life for women. Yeah, it's like the exact opposite of what most women are mm-hmm. conditioned to do, which is like, what does everyone else need? What does everyone else yeah. need? Meet those needs. Sacrificial lambs, man. That's what we are. To just pause and be like, how would I take care of this for myself? And mm-hmm. then let that affect your other relationships and who you choose to be with. Yeah, It's a good place to start. Everyone benefits from that too. Yes. Because when I actually do right. give things, it's coming from an authentic place. I'm not over-promising things and then disappointing people. Like I really check in with energy and what can I genuinely do instead of being like a people pleaser and all this shit, being a, a signing up for all this crap that I do not have the, <laughs> the time or resources <laughs> or energy for. You can actually not disappoint people as much. I wasn't authentic in my relationships because I never even knew myself. You know, yeah. I did my best, but it's a radically different way to live life. But it is so healing Learning to question that impulse or push against it, at least sometimes, like, yeah. it's so worth it. And I think we already are. I think, yeah. you know, the divorce statistics, the mm-hmm. women choosing to stay single statistics, it's all born out there. You know, mm-hmm. we are learning to, yeah. right, to think about ourselves first and not because we're selfish or manipulative, but because it's the healthy and the right thing to do. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for all of your words of inspiration for sharing your story, Melanie. This has been so great. We really appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. It was a pleasure. And for our listeners who want more of you, Melanie, where can they find you? So most of the things I'm doing right now is on TikTok and YouTube. And also, if you want to read any of my articles, just go to my website. I have have like over 60 articles for huge publications in there. I'm very proud of my work. Thank you so much. And we know our listeners will all check out your TikTok and all your writing. And it's all great. It's terrific. So thank you again so much. Thank you. All right. We are going to take another quick break. But reminder, you can always share your stories and thoughts with us at kristenangelinta at gmail.com or weigh in on Facebook, facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelinta. Stay with us when we're back. All of you out there, share your stories of the great divorce in your own lives. All right, we are back. And now, Kristen, let's get into some of the many, many letters we received from listeners on the great divorce. Oh, yeah. And when you say many, many, it is so many. We got them by email. We got them on TikTok. We got them on Instagram. We got them on Facebook. We had so many of you talking about this topic. It really touched a nerve with you. Let's start with this one from an anonymous listener. Anonymous says, as a heterosexual woman, I have always refused to even consider marriage. It feels like a scam for the women. I'm in a long-term relationship over 15 years without kids. I can't imagine running a whole family. It's hard enough with this one man. But the idea of being single again is overwhelming too. I look around and all I see is failure to launch man babies. I always thought my mom was single because she's overly critical, but now that I am grown, I see it's yet another systemic failure thrown at women to pick up the slack. P.S. I will attend any of my friends' divorce parties when the great divorce happens for them. It's an accomplishment to leave. And this comment 
was really interesting because it sparked a debate on our Facebook page about, you know, what is the difference between being in a long term relationship with a man and being married to a man? How does that shift things? Does it even shift things? And a lot of people wrote in saying like, I was married. I'll never get married again. And they think that literally the title of husband or once the marriage happens, that's when men stop trying. They stop trying to impress women. They stop trying to woo them. And they start sort of sitting back and expecting women to do, quote, like women's work. Yes. And then I believe a few people said, my long-term relationship is in separate households. So because we're under the same roof, like a married couple that means I don't have to be their maid or their mommy. Right. They're taking care of their house. I'm taking care of mine. Our relationship is about romance and partnership, not about housekeeping and chores, which that totally makes sense to me. Totally. Up next, I want to read this really interesting letter we got from someone who has a very different perspective. Elise wrote in to say, I'm a personal trainer to mostly women. I can say that the division of labor is not equal in the majority of straight relationships, that women do most of the physical, mental, and emotional labor, and that many of my clients are considering divorce. I'm glad for the people in the Facebook group who only see equal pairings around them, but it's not the norm. Men have not been socially conditioned to do emotional or domestic labor, and it shows. Yeah, yeah. I think our society does have a way to go. We need to teach boys to be men. And by men, I mean people who do what needs to be done as a grown-up human. We shouldn't be raising our boys to be boys forever. We don't raise our girls to be girls forever. Mm -hmm. We definitely do not do that. So we should be teaching men to be self-sufficient as well. That's such a good point. Yeah. We don't necessarily prepare men for adulthood as much as we prepare our women, do we? No, we don't. I don't think we do. Mm -mm. I'm going to shift topics and talk about gray divorce because we got this one comment on TikTok that I just had to read for everyone. It's so good. Regarding gray divorce, at Cry About It Please said, this is why I disagree with the boomer lifestyle choice. It's disrespectful to the sanctity of marriage. Ah, (laughs) did your mom write that? No, she doesn't even know how to use TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought it was so good. Boomers (laughs) might disagree with young people's life choices about like not getting married right away or not having traditional looking relationships. But we can disagree with their lifestyle choices and how they balk in the face of traditional marriage because they get divorced so much. And that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge, huge thank you to our production team at Stitcher, our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder, we love it when you rate and review us in your pod player, whatever pod player it is. Give us five stars. Give us however many stars you're capable of giving us in that pod player. If the pod player lets you give us 10 stars, we'll take those too. And if you haven't already, tell a friend about the show. Until next time, I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Until then, stay fine. Stitcher. 